Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us at today's webinar on private assets. What are the requirements for setting up the Luxembourg investment vehicle? I'll pass you over to my colleague, Connie Wong. Thank you, Connie. Thanks, Ali. Hello and good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to our webinar and thanks for joining us today. My name is Connie Wong. I'm the Executive Director at Waystone based in Singapore. To those who have attended our last webinar, we share with managers an overview of the framework and requirements for setting up funds in Luxembourg. Today, we invited our industry friend, Stefan, who we are very familiar with. He's a partner of Arond and the head of the Hong Kong office. Stefan has been in Hong Kong for over 15 years and very well experienced in advising Asia-based clients regarding the European structure. The other speaker, my colleague, Kim Kirsch, based in our Luxembourg office, Kim is our head of legal and conducting officer. Kim spent over 20 years with some of the leading names, including Fidelity, Schroders, and Arond. The roundtable today, we would like to go into details of structuring aid in the EU, the role and responsibilities of AFM, and of course, the passporting and marketing. Before we get into the content as a housekeeping, I just want to remind everyone there's a Q&A session towards the end of the presentation, and we very welcome you to send in the questions anytime during the webinar. So without further ado, maybe a questions to, not really a question, but maybe a, a highlight from uh, Kim and also Stefan. Um, I know Luxembourg has been known as a fund jurisdiction for liquid products. So if you can share with us how you have seen Luxembourg as a fund hub for asset class like private debts, real estates and infrastructure. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much, uh, Connie, Alison, Kim, uh, and thank you to uh, Waystone for inviting us to, to participate for this second series uh, of webinars dedicated to Luxembourg. So if we look um, at the agenda, so we're going to speak about all these points. Um, and in the first section, we wanted to give a little bit more a flavor on, well, the, the growth with regards to uh, alternative investment uh, uh, globally, as well as in Europe and what we have seen being developed in Luxembourg over the past number of years. So if we go in slide number, um, I think that should be the, the two following slides, uh, the one with the statistics, not this one, the next one, and the next one. Thank you. Again, thank you so much. So that's based on the statistics uh, of, of Prekin, uh, a well-known uh, data provider. Um, and what we wanted to show here is just to um, to show and illustrate what we've all observed over the past number of years. I mean, when you see the growth from 2010 to 2019, it was already quite significant. And uh, the uh, perspective and, and anticipation for 2020 to 2025 is a growth with a compound annual growth rate on average of 9.8% per year. So that, that, that's something which uh, we also anticipate. And, and, and obviously, uh, we've seen quite a lot of, of the alternative investing being structured using Luxembourg. And this is precisely the point of this uh, webinar to tell you how this transition uh, did take place. Um, and, and certainly, alternative investment fund investing uh, has very bright days ahead. If you look at uh, the next slide, you see it a little bit spread by uh, strategy and obviously the private equity strategy is the one in blue, dark blue that um, will, according to 
what is uh, anticipated will know the biggest growth uh, and almost double over the next uh, number of years. And so over the next four years, really, uh, followed by private debt with an increase of 72% being anticipated. And then hedge fund real estate infrastructure, natural resource being around the 20% growth, which is already quite uh, significant. Asia um, as being shown in the statistics, would, would account for quite a bit of that, but would also know a significant uh, threefold growth uh, over the next uh, uh, four or five years, uh, according to what was published back in 2020. So you see there uh, quite a lot uh, of positive news. Private equity, private debt um, will grow by 15%. Uh, 11.4% per year, uh, respectively, over the next couple of years. We see private debt uh, being one of the fastest growing asset class uh, with, with AUM and uh, the, the compound annual growth rate also being in the double digits uh, over the next five years. And, and real estate being a little bit compressed, but depending on, on which real estate we're talking about, we may come up with different perspective and different figure. If we look at Luxembourg and the next uh, two slides, um, you know, just to re-identify um, and resituate Luxembourg uh, fundamentals here. So a very good um, uh, ratio with regard to sovereign debt, uh, 25%, uh, which is very low compared to many other European countries. Uh, a pretty uh, stable and balanced budget, triple A rating, which is very important, central location in Europe. And already, if we go on next slide, a very significant market share with regards to liquid funds. And so we've all seen that during the last webinar. So I encourage you to either re-listen re it or review it. Um, but basically, this is primarily um, mutual funds. If you look at the next slides, uh, these are, again, the fundamentals about Luxembourg. It's GDP growth. The next one are a summary of the main advantages. Again, something which on the next slide we have seen already last time and which we are not going to to cover, uh, but the one after, the slide coming just after, is the one I want to, to spend a bit more time. Forget about UCITS for now. Uh, we have covered it last time and we'll probably cover it in more detail in another uh, webinar. What I want to cover here is the, the alternative investment funds, AIF, uh, which are the private equity, real estate, hedge fund, debt, uh, private debt infrastructure, debt that we have seen before. This has known um, a significant and, and uh, amazing, I should say, uh, growth over the, the past number of years. We've always had in Luxembourg quite a number of these private equity real estate fund managers. Quite a lot of them had regulated funds back in the days and they had their SPVs in Luxembourg and some of their infrastructure uh, in, in the country now with the introduction of AIFMD and the growth of alternative investment fund investing We've seen really Luxembourg being used by all those managers to set up their funds uh, with about 96 billion euro of assets into uh, real estate funds, uh, 111 billion in um, the private equity venture capital. I should add, and I'll do that on the slide, which you're going to get um, loan funds, private debt funds, which account for uh, 65 billion plus that, that are, are figures of, of 2018 that has only uh, increased since then, so altogether, about 400 billion of assets under management into uh, alternative investment funds in Luxembourg. What is also very important is that it's not only uh, funds fund managers, um, thanks to the alternative investment fund managers directive and the Luxembourg infrastructure, 
have established themselves in Luxembourg. 267 fully authorized AIFMs are based in Luxembourg with a significant uh, human and technical infrastructure on the ground. And, and Waystone is definitely no exception to that. So uh, Kim is going to tell us more about that. We also have in Lux quite a number of registered uh, AIFM, which are the below threshold one, the small one that do not necessarily have to comply with the entire uh, sections of the uh, AIFMD. So we're about 600 of them. And the last two uh, bullets are reserved alternative investment funds. We're going to talk about that into a, a great deal of detail just after, uh, as well as the specialized, uh, special limited partnership, uh, 1,300 of them being set up in Luxembourg with an AIFM. We'll see what that means. Uh, in reality, you have over 3,500 of a special limited partnership being set up in Luxembourg. So a third of them being uh, uh, appointing AIFM. So all in all, um, quite interesting numbers, uh, global numbers being really on the rise, products being set up by, by managers, being bought by investors uh, across the range of investors. And Luxembourg, in the middle of that, capitalizing on its great knowledge with regards to, to fund setup and fund management mutual fund space uh, and implementing that into uh, various alternative asset classes. Kim, I hand over to you for your comments. Yes, thanks, Stefan. Um, as Connie said, I'm the European Head of Legal of the Waystone Group. Um, I'm also one of the conducting officers of the management company in Luxembourg. Uh, it's good to be here. So thanks, Connie. Thanks, Ali, for organizing this webinar. And thanks, Stefan, for participating and for your very valid uh, input. Um, what we see as a Menko AFEN, um, uh, the trends, uh, confirmed trends, I would say, is that there's a high demand for loan funds in particular. Uh, and we see two types of funds. Uh, so those investing into loans. So um, that are loans issued typically by small and mid-sized enterprises, being it in Europe or elsewhere. Uh, and we uh, see the trend also uh, for the loan originating funds. That means uh, the funds issuing themselves uh, uh, loans. Um, from a real estate property fund perspective, uh, what we see here is that also there, it's not only for the European properties, but also um, properties elsewhere, um, including offshore jurisdictions. Uh, we, for, for example, um, established a property fund with Indian uh, real estate assets. Um, on the infrastructure side, um, there are also typically uh, what we see that are funds investing in um, more important projects like airports, shopping malls, um, and um, also, those funds are typically targeting institutional investors, um, so insurance companies, uh, pension funds. Of course, um, not only for the liquid asset space, but also for the illiquid asset world. We see um, also now the debate on the uh, ESG aspects uh, and sustainability factors. So also in the illiquid uh, asset space, we see now more and more initiators uh, trying to set up so, so named Article 9 funds. So, those um, promoting uh, sustainability characteristics. Um, yeah, 
that's the trends we see as an external aid from Manco. Uh, and Stefan, I would hand back to you now for the different fund vehicles available in Luxembourg. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, thank you, Kim. So yes, we are going to cover uh, in more detail um, what we discussed a bit last time, which was you know um, a snapshot of the entire Luxembourg toolbox. And we spent a little bit of time on every single vehicle um, talking about their features and their you know specifics and, and in which case we were using them. So this time we will entirely uh, forget about UCITS. We'll focus on the RAVE. So that's the second box on top, the Reserved Alternative Investment Fund. Uh, very popular, uh, and I'll explain you what. We may touch on the Specialized Investment Fund, which is the SIF just next to it, which is uh, actually exactly the same as a RAVE, except for the regulatory approval, which you need to obtain to, to set it up and to um, have it, uh, uh, you know, launched and, and subscribed by investors. So these are uh, virtually similar vehicle, one being regulated, the other one being not regulated. I'm not going to speak about the CCAR, the investment company in risk capital, uh, just for you to know that, that we have it and we can certainly dedicate an entire webinar to the CCAR next time. And we'll uh, speak about the last box, which is the limited partnership regime which we have in Luxembourg since 2013. So we, we look at the next slide, uh, we have another sort of representation of, of what we are going to talk about here showing uh, from the non-regulated structure, which is the, the very simple SPV on the left side in the lower uh, corner uh, to uh, the highly regulated usage and everything in between, we are going to focus on the two vehicles that you see uh, in the red frame. So let's start with the RAVE, uh, which is on the next slide. Um, the RAVE uh, is a very popular product that, that we uh, have included in, into Luxembourg law in 2016. So um, since then, uh, about one RAVE has been set up every, every business day. So it's a, it's a very, very popular product. And we um, set them uh, up very often for... Uh, a great variety of investors and, and managers and sponsors, uh, including in Asia. This is why it's primarily relevant to discuss about that here. So what, what are we talking about here? A non-regulated vehicle. Um, and it's no coincidence that it's been introduced in the Luxembourg toolbox uh, a few years after the Alternative Investment Fund Managers Directive was uh, in, included in the Luxembourg uh, law and implemented in Lux because... Um, the reasoning was, and still is, if you do have regulation applying at the level of the manager, you might not need to have regulation applying directly to the fund itself. You already regulate the manager. You do not need to regulate the fund itself. So this is the sort of genesis of having produced a fund dedicated to well-informed investors, non-regulated, uh, that has no restriction as to which type of assets it can invest in, uh, low uh, risk diversification rules and requirements. So it's not like a retail fund. Uh, here we're talking about a guideline of having at least a 30% diversification requirement. Uh, it also has a lightened accounting requ requirement and a very friendly uh, um, a tax uh, um, feature because it's tax exempt for uh, the most part, except for a subscription tax that applies, uh, which is uh, described here. So the, the great advantage of these vehicles are that they are by all means 
uh, fund structure. You can set them up as standalone funds or as umbrella structure with, you know, for funds for which you would like to add scales and would like to benefit from this ability to have different sub funds. You can do it within that uh, type of uh, fund vehicles. Uh, this is highly flexible uh, because part of it being because it's not regulated. So you can very quickly uh, set up a rave structure with uh, set up rave structure in, in, in a couple of weeks. So uh, four weeks would be uh, a reasonable and okay time frame for a very simple and straightforward rave structure if you, your all your service providers are already lined up. Um, one requirement by law is that you have to appoint a, an AIFM. And, and right now it would be a new AIFM necessarily because it needs to be fully AIFMD compliant. Uh, by doing so, it's a requirement, but the, the other side of the same coin is that you benefit from the European passport with this vehicle. So you can sell it on a cross-border basis within the EU um, uh, based on the passport, which we are going to tell, about, tell you about in more detail later. So that's very popular vehicle. Uh, we've had, and we'll speak about that as well a bit more later, we've had set them up for Japanese sponsor, Chinese sponsors, Korean sponsors, you know, Singapore-based, Hong Kong-based. I mean, in Asia, we really have every single jurisdiction and, and sponsor from the entire region being really attracted to a race. Um, and some of them are being not only sold in Europe, but also sold back in Asia uh, on a cross-border basis in a variety of jurisdictions. And again, we'll speak about that in a few moments. We've set them up for infrastructure debt funds, for real estate funds, for private equity, um, for all these asset classes that we've discussed before. This is really the way to go uh, with uh, uh, in terms of fund vehicle. We've also set up Ray for a straightforward, uh, you know, uh, liquid strategies that works as well. I mean, of course, if you can do uh, the old other asset class I mentioned, you can also do the more liquid strategy and it works very well for a great variety of well-informed investors. The other vehicle I wanted to, to tell you about in detail uh, is the SLP, so that's on the next slide. That's the Special Limited Partnership, introduced back in uh, 2013, uh, and we here in Asia, you know, various uh, financial centers uh, proposing now their limited partnership regime. We've had ours uh, for a little bit over seven years. Um, of course, being a civil law jurisdiction, we we had to um, sort of get some inspiration from common law countries and systems of law in order to uh, include that in our uh, system uh, and in our toolbox. Uh, it was not available before that, and, and it was somehow missing when we were talking uh, to uh, managers or investors that are, you know, well-versed and used to limited partnerships. And, and of course, in private equity and, and other for other asset class, this is rather the rule. So we, we've we included that. Um, again, same idea, uh, since you do have regulation potentially applying at the level of the manager, you do not necessarily need to have regulation applying at the level of the fund. And this is what SLP is about. This is really a straightforward limited partnership, uh, which is not regulated um, and which will have a GP in Luxembourg. And as we will see later, this GP can opt in uh, to uh, appoint an AIFM, uh, making the structure entirely AIFMD compliant should you wish to, but it's not an obligation. It's more an option. It only becomes an obligation when you reach certain threshold of AUM um, uh, at the level of the general partner. So that's um, that's what I wanted to say. The difference 
with the uh, the RAFE is that uh, again you uh, do not have the ability to have sub funds, uh, but this is not necessarily a constraint for quite a number of managers that that work rather by vintages of funds rather than adding sub fund within the platform. But that's something that you need to know. Other than that, it's entirely flexible. You can invest in, in anything. It can be sold to any type of investors. This really uh, the, the entry-level fund vehicle that, uh, uh, that we propose to managers that um, after that can even uh, decide to uh, up, upgrade the structure into something fully AIFMD compliant. So I stop here, perhaps to uh, to give Connie or or Kim the ability to, to to comment on those two very successful vehicles. Thanks, Stefan. I think that's really helpful. You know that the content you share about the two available structures for managers in Asia they can consider uh, when they look into alternative investment um, asset class. So I guess maybe we can turn into. I know you also mentioned about the um, requirements potentially uh, for these funds to have. Um, and um, an A firm to be appointed. And maybe perhaps we're just turning um, to Kim, if you can share to us, you know, the role and responsibilities of an A firm. I know the regulations these days can seem a bit onerous and also complex to some of the managers in Asia. So if you could give us an overview, I think that would be very good for the audience today. So good, sir. Um, Connie, uh, for your questions on the role and the responsibilities of the um, uh, alternative investment fund manager. Um, thanks, Ali. Um, we have at the one side the uh, European directive, so the so-named AVMD, uh, regulating the alternative investment fund managers, uh, not the product, but the managers. Um, we all know this now, I think. Uh, and this directive uh, clearly describes four main functions and responsibilities um, of the alternative investment fund, fund manager, that's number one, the portfolio management. Um, so not um, to be forgotten because it still remains the most important function for a fund. The second is the risk management. Um, the third is the valuation. And the fourth one is the passporting. Um, so basically the AFIM uh, opens the gate for the product, for the alternative investment fund to be marketed, commercialized in the other jurisdictions. Um, on the CZF circular, um, oh, we have also at the, uh, um, at the other hand, we have a uh, CZF circular 18698. Uh, it is setting clearly the minimum expectations of the regulator when it comes to the organization, the substance, the human, human and, and technical uh, infrastructure of a Menco, of an alternative investment fund manager. And uh, it is also regulating and describing um, the expectations when it comes to AML, but also setting a clear frame for delegating different functions. Um, there, it's always under the ultimate control of the delegating AFM, and um, minimum requirements are, for example, a thorough initial and ongoing due diligence uh, to have a, an agreement in place describing the delegation uh, with the need to have a minimum content uh, like terminations, etc. Uh, 
And what should be highlighted is that for the unregulated funds, we wanted to focus today on, uh, so speak uh, RAVES, uh, SLPs or SCSPs, um, those funds are not um, directly regulated by the CZF, so the Luxembourg regulator, but indirectly um, by its AFM. Uh, so uh, it would be a regula uh, the regulation and the supervision would be indirectly performed uh, by Waystone uh, in its capacity as a turn to investment fund manager. A concrete example is, for example, we don't want to overdo it, um, always partnering with our clients, uh, but uh, we would, for example, um, take the forms of the CZF when it comes to uh, the honorability of the board members or the GP managers. That's a bit the frame in Luxembourg um, when it comes to the AVM role and responsibilities. Um, Connie, if you Thanks. want, yep. Sure, Kim. Just on you know on this slide, I, I know you you mentioned about a few things that of a role and responsibility of AFM, including you know the portfolio management, the delegation, and also the valuation function. So maybe two questions to you is, what are the common models for a portfolio manager? Not management and and whether what kind of things that can be delegated and the second question is if you can also you know elaborate a little bit more on the valuation I know that's also being covered by you earlier uh, when we mentioned about the AFM role and responsibilities. Yes, thanks, Connie. Um, we have two type of models uh, for the portfolio management. Again, uh, as I said before, uh, portfolio management is one of the core responsibilities of the AFM. Uh, and usually, um, in case of a regulated uh, entity, so entity uh, performing the day-to-day -day portfolio management, uh, the, the AFM delegates uh, to this entity the portfolio management function, uh, again, subject to the different conditions as framed and outlined uh, in the directive and the CZF circular. Um, and... Um, these uh, um, entities should be subject to an equivalent supervision. Uh, most of the main Asian regulators are considered um, to perform an equivalent supervision. So we have uh, existing funds with uh, Asian portfolio managers. Um, and uh, the second model would be um, sometimes the group initiator um, would not have a regulated entity within its group. There, uh, we would appoint a, an investment advisor, so providing advice to the AFM, uh, being then itself in charge of portfolio management. How are we doing this? Typically, we would set up an investment committee. Uh, this investment committee is composed by uh, the colleagues being in charge of portfolio management um, and uh, potentially other experts. Uh, and Waystone has a very flexible uh, setup and um, uh, model when it comes to the investment committees. So if, for example, the investment advisor says, we would like to have a member in this committee, uh, we say, that's absolutely fine. And to a certain extent, it makes sense because, of course, 
that are the persons bringing the ex expertise. And then it can be openly discussed in the committees what is needed as information, etc., to take the investment decisions. Um, uh, so from that side, we are uh, pretty flexible. The CSEF circular 18698 says, in this case, it should be non-voting uh, members. But we believe as long as the AFM has the last words, so um, be able to demonstrate that it took the investment decision, ultimately, that's also fine with us. Um, an important uh, note here to do is that the AFM cannot delegate uh, both risk, ma risk management and portfolio management. If not, it would become a letterbox entity, uh, which was uh, heavily criticized by ESMA. So it needs to, to keep either the portfolio management or the risk management. Um, for the second part of, uh, um, of the question Connie raised, um, when it comes to the valuation, there, in theory, we have two models. But in, in practice, uh, we, will, we see three models being applied. Um, the, the first is that the AFM delegates the valuation to an external valuation agent as defined by the AFMD. That's important to be mentioned because sometimes we see that there are um, yeah, uh, later discussions uh, with those entities. And then they say at the beginning, yes, we would like to do the valuation, but then we see um, they imagine it a bit different and they don't want to take the liability for the valuation function. So here, clearly, if we speak about an external valuation agent as defined by the AMD, that are entities also uh, being willing to take the liability for this function. Um, and we see also that this model can be, depending on the size of the fund, uh, very expensive. So they are also, um, uh, Waystone um, elaborated uh, two different models. The one is we look what do we have already in place from a client side? Uh, are they working already with data vendors, et cetera? Could we um, uh, have also these type of sources uh, available? Um, so more the plugin based on existing procedures uh, on the portfolio manager side or investment advisor side. And um, we would act as valuation agents uh, for the alternative investment fund. Um, and the third model would be um, depending, of course, on the availability of the sources and the asset class that uh, we would be uh, the valuation agent without an, any data vendor um, uh, being needed. Mm -hmm. So that are, uh, Connie, in short, the different models when it comes to portfolio management and valuation. Thank you, Kim. I think this is very useful, you know, for managers to consider when they come to um, either they are setting up their own AFM or potentially they're looking for third party um, for such kind of hosting solutions that Waystone to offer. And uh, I guess we have touched on the role and responsibility of AFM. Uh, Safan also shared with us available structure that's uh, uh, for, for the client that can consider, including the RAVE and the SLP. I think maybe a very um, experienced in, in um, structuring different type of uh, vehicle uh, for managers in Asia. So perhaps maybe if you can share with us, you know, a few maybe example, or maybe a few case study um, today with, with some of the uh, audience um, that join us on, on this webinar, what 
uh, the type of uh, the, the case study that you can share. Well, well thanks, Connie, for the for the question. Um, indeed, uh, when very practically, when we are you know a meeting with uh, with Asian based managers, they, they they have quite a number of questions with regards to the best uh, manner uh, structuring their investment vehicle in uh, in Luxembourg and in Europe generally. I mean, a lot of them already have uh, either local fund vehicles or uh, most likely a Cayman structure. And they are, they are thinking, you know, what should I do? Should I set up uh, my uh, my standalone fund in, in Europe, in Luxembourg? Should I set up um, a parallel vehicle in Luxembourg to cater to needs of European investors, etc., and benefit from the passport. I mean, a lot of this is driven by whether or not you want to have the passport, and if you do want to have the passport, you know how much uh, are you relatively confident you can raise with that passport to justify the cost of the structure. So we're seeing really practically three options. Option one, which is the slide just after this one, is really the entry level. Uh, vehicle that would be the next slide. Uh, that's really the entry level vehicle, um, just the same as you would uh, set up a Cayman structure. You can set up a Luxembourg limited partnership structure with a GP based in Luxembourg. It has to be based in Luxembourg. Doesn't have to have a license, um, provided that it is a sub threshold, meaning that it uh, doesn't have an AUM exceeding 500 million for closed ended and non-leverage funds uh, or 100 million in any other cases. So it, it's sort of for smaller uh, managers that would like to use a, a limited partnership made in Luxembourg with a view perhaps to upgrade into uh, an AIFMD compliance structure later. Uh, there is no obstacle uh, to start with, with that. And, and as a matter of fact, this GP can delegate uh, to an Asian manager, an Asian advisor, uh, the portfolio management of the structure. And this is perfectly fine. Uh, this would not benefit from the passport. We are going to see in which case we have the passport, in which case we don't have it within the EU. Uh, so that, that doesn't have it. But it's a very nice and convenient way, convenient way to start. It doesn't need to have an AIFM. It doesn't need to have uh, necessarily a, a depository. You know, So it's it's kind of the entry level. If you go to the next slide, which also is the next level, that would be a standalone AIFMD compliant limited partnership in this case with a general partner, knowing that the fund, which is in this uh, slide, could be an SLP. It could also be a RAVE uh, structured as an SLP. You know, the RAVE uh, law uh, and the RAVE regime is more to be considered as an overlay uh, in order to uh, benefit from the flexibility I mentioned before, rather than really a different sort of uh, corporate or limited partnership type of vehicle. It's not. It's a regulatory regime that you will uh, apply to the fund. And so uh, in both cases, these can be SLPs. Um, the GP would, in this case, appoint an AIFM. So it would do so, for example, if it succeeds the threshold of 500 million, 100 million I mentioned before in AUM. Uh, it still can appoint an Asian-based manager or an advisor. Uh, and then in this case, it benefits from the AIFMD passport. And so this is uh, actually the way to go as a standalone fund in Luxembourg. And if you do want um, to uh, use it as a parallel fund vehicle, this is the next slide, this is perfectly fine as well. So um, we actually do that uh, quite a lot over the past number of years, uh, including in Asia, where we see Asian managers 
with either a fund in the Cayman, a fund in Singapore, a fund in, in Hong Kong or, or in other places um, willing to accommodate the needs of European investors um, having a parallel fund in Luxembourg. And so by all means, this is similar to option two, except that this, this, this time the fund in Luxembourg is on the right side of the, of the screen and will be only directed to European investors with the European AIFMD passport. On the other side, you would have a non-European fund for other investors uh, around the world, US investors, Japanese investors, for example, uh, using Cayman structures, and they would both invest in uh, the same portfolio of private equity investment, real estate, hedge fund, infrastructure, you name it. Uh, both funds would appoint the same investment manager or investment advisor. Uh, you may or you may not have a pooling a vehicle or an aggregator underneath. I mean, of course, I spare you all the, the engineering uh, to just remain a bit high level here, but that, that works very well. And we are doing that quite a lot uh, in Luxembourg nowadays. Uh, certain managers uh, put their standalone fund or their main fund in Luxembourg, others uh, will use it as a parallel fund uh, when it makes sense. And in most cases, it does make sense. Thanks, Stefan. And, and it's really good to that, that you share, you know, the, the three options available that managers can consider. And I guess you also raise a very interesting point, which lead to our, uh, uh, another part of conversation, which is the passporting and marketing. And perhaps I will uh, invite Kim first, and uh, maybe you can share with us, you know, uh, what is the marketing passport and how would that be made available? To managers. Sure, Connie. Thank you. Um, just uh, um, also to come back on uh, what Stefan uh, just alluded to, um, we clearly see this trend also of the parallel uh, structures. Um, we have a lot of those. Um, uh, it's uh, an interesting setup. Uh, um, uh, so that's also confirmed from our side. Uh, when it comes to uh, the structures, with or without AFIM, um, subject to all the conditions, uh, is clearly, of course, the AFIM um, is uh, also enabling the passporting. So basically, as I explained before, and opening the gate for the fund, for the product, but uh, also from the practical perspective, from practical perspective, uh, the AFIM uh, is coordinating uh, a lot of relationships, being it with the central administrative agent, being it with the depositors, being it with the auditors. So basically, uh, our aim is to partner with our clients in a way that we let the clients focus on um, what they want to do, uh, what they can do the best. And we would basically take care of the rest um, and also um, coordinating a lot with the different service providers. Um, for the passporting and marketing, again here, um, re-emphasizing um, also the unregulated funds, so the RAVES, the SLPs, the SCSPs, uh, qualifying as an AFE and um, appointing an AFE can be passported in, in, into the different EU jurisdictions. I think that's very important as a principle. So it's not only the regulated funds, but also the unregulated funds. Um, in practice, we see that usually there's a MIFID licensed entity being appointed as a distributor uh, for the marketing in the different EU countries. 
We have also clients, of course, uh, not having a, a MIFID entity within its group or within their groups. And there, uh, again, the Waystone group can offer distribution support services uh, by a segregated entity, um, duly, of course, licensed, MIFID entity in Dublin. Uh, when it comes to the passporting, that's also a service the Waystone group is offering and further developing. Um, and there we have also a specialized team doing this on a day-by-day -day basis. Um, for the marketing in uh, the Asian countries, that's typically done based on the local private placement rules or the exemption regimes. Um, and uh, perhaps, Stefan, um, if you would like to share your experience, um, what you see when it comes to the marketing um, on a more limited basis in the Asian countries, that might be interesting for the audience. Absolutely, thanks, Kim. Um, I would, I would perhaps make a comment on uh, on Europe and and Asia, uh, starting with with Europe. So we've seen that the marketing is available um, actually in one and only one scenario is when you have a European fund with a European AIFM. Right, this is the only scenario. If you have a non-European fund, no passport. If you have a non-European uh, AIFM, no passport, um, and all the combinations thereof. So this this is really uh, the only way to go. Still in Europe, and we are going to talk about that in a second. You do have the national private placement rules that still are available to uh, to managers. Uh, what we see practically, though, is that. As a result of reporting requirements and the relative complexity of dealing with national private placements, uh, which are still uh, non-coordinated within the EU, and uh, which you need to deal on a case-by-case -case and country-by-country -country basis and regulator-by-regulator, -regulator, it becomes very, very complicated quite quickly. If you have more than two, three jurisdictions which you approach on a national private placement, that's usually uh, sort of the maximum you can, uh, you can do. Uh, before it becomes to really becomes too complicated practically and a, and a compliance you know risk uh, for you. So that's that's perhaps where we see managers really thinking. Okay, I have a, an Asia uh, Asian based manager that has a Cayman fund or um, a Singapore Hong Kong based fund. They are thinking about you know approaching a couple of investors in the EU um, in a couple of jurisdictions that might be okay to do it on a private placement basis for, for them. But if we want to go beyond that, usually it doesn't work anymore. And so we need to look at RAVE SLPs uh, in order to uh, to cater to, to their um, interests and, and benefit them from the passport. So that's one. For Asia, it's a bit the same, the same idea because obviously we don't have uh, coordinated rules in the region. I mean, we do for mutual funds to an extent, but it's still not quite what we have with the passport and their usage or IFMD in Europe. Um, and so you need to deal country by country um, with the relevant uh, national private placement rules or uh, what they call also safe harbors or registration for accredited or institutional investors, etc. So what we've seen with RAVES in particular, uh, not so much SLP, um, we've seen a number, but not not as much. I think Rave being more a fund than than uh, an SLP is as well a fund. But I would say that the Rave is a full fledged fund and is recognized as such. Uh, we've seen them 
you know, widely and accepted in Korea, in Japan, um, and, and registered in those two countries for distribution to institutional investors. Uh, in Hong Kong, it's more uh, working on the, on the safe harbors and the national private placement. Um, in Singapore, we've seen them, you know, as well uh, distribute in this way. So although, you know, we're not uh, qualified to advise under any of these systems of law, we work with local advisors and, and law firms and so forth and service providers that can, that can help us on the ground. And as Connie mentioned in the beginning, we have been here for a, quite some time now. And I, I can see that there is really a, a buy-in that's quite strong by uh, local in investors and as a result, you know, the sort of the various uh, markets to, towards having, you know, relatively easily registered uh, or uh, accepted in their national private placement regimes in Asia. Kim. Thank you, Stefan. I think it's really good to hear, you know, um, the, 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 this is being widely accepted uh, in the market, you know, those you mentioned. And I guess we're also kind of conscious about the time that we have this afternoon. And maybe it will be uh, just the last question um, to you both, um, realizing that I, I know that there's a new regulations uh, come, is going to come effective in August, which is next month. Uh, we, uh, I think that I believe is a new cross-border distribution regulation. So maybe to you both, um, if we can get some uh, takeaway from you both on, you know, what will be the impact um, to some of the non-EU managers here, in particular to the Asia-based managers? Perhaps, uh, um, Stefan, if you allow, I will give it a start. Thanks, Connie, for the question. Uh, and um, yes, I think it's a very important um, uh, regulation and directive. Uh, it's coming soon. Uh, so the effective date is uh, uh, beginning of August this year. Um, this new requirements are framing a bit what we saw already uh, to a certain extent but uh, uh, putting clearly the conditions around it and um, more formalities and what would need to be done. Um, a very important point uh, uh, these new regulations are covering is the pre-marketing. Um, the pre-marketing is to a certain extent a bit uh, similar to the procedure we ex explained before and for the passporting. So it's a regulator to regulator process. That means um, the alternative investment fund manager also here opens a gate. Um, so that would be, for example, an initiator saying um, in the phase of um, setting up the funds, uh, they say, yes, but um, we would like to perform already pre-marketing in some countries because we have um, a limited uh, circle of investors being interested in our product. In this case, the AFM would send a pre-marketing notification form uh, to its home state regulator here, in our case, the CSF, uh, and uh, the CSF would transmit it then to the other host state regulators. Mm -hmm. um, the main conditions about pre-marketing, uh, you can read in, uh, in both the directive and the regulations, is clearly to distinguish pre-marketing from uh, reverse solicitation uh, and the marketing activity. So basically during that period of time allowed for pre-marketing, so 18 months, 
um, uh, the reverse solicitation and the marketing uh, is not possible. Uh, that's very important because it's often a fine line. Uh, so what is reverse solicitation versus pre-marketing, etc. Uh, but um, I think there, again, in the whole value chain, everybody has interest to a certain uh, extent to comply uh, the best we can. Also, there, Waystone has its own internal working group uh, assessing all the new requirements. There will be very soon a, a client memo to be sent out and to be published, um, going into further details, but also um, highlighting how can Waystone help its clients again with some added value services um, when it comes to these new requirements. In, in summary, uh, perhaps to the other points uh, covered by this new frame, uh, they're focusing also on the content of the marketing communications and materials uh, and very broadly defined. Uh, um, so what is marketing material? It's including websites, it's including uh, other means of communication, etc. It's not only the uh, standard fact sheets or uh, brochures or presentations. Um, then uh, it's uh, referencing to the local uh, facility agents uh, or information agents. That's more for the retail investors. Here, there is a new element that it not it does not need to be local agents. It could be a centralized agent. Um, I think it's still not clear what type of licenses uh, agents should have. Um, the CZF will not gold plate to the last, or to the best of our last knowledge. Um, so they will not ask for a specific license, but I think it's not excluded that some uh, other regulators uh, might do so. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, it's covering uh, the fund deregistration or denotification, and there's also a pretty formalistic uh, procedure um, so for both usage and alternative investment funds. And uh, it's covering um, the post uh, uh, notification in case of material changes. Um, also there, what is a material change? Um, it depends really on the regulator. Uh, um, typically, we say when there's a material impact for the investors of the fund. Uh, and in theory, there should be a one-month prior notification uh, sent to the regulators in case of material change. Perhaps, Stefan, um, I took already, uh, I think, a lot of time. If you would like to add something. Sure. I, I think that you summarized it very well, so I have very little to add. I, I think that the... There are different aspects, as you pointed out, on under this uh, uh, cross-border distribution uh, regime uh, that will indeed enter into force 2nd of August. So uh, laws are being discussed and passed by the various European parliaments. The real uh, important point besides denotification and, and a few upgrades which they do to UCITS and AIFMD is the, this pre-marketing point that you, that you mentioned. And there is, I think, a few benefits uh, to that. It adds a lot of clarity to the regime. You mentioned about, you know, uh, often a fine line between what the marketing, pre-marketing is. Well, now we do have a clear definition. It's pretty wide. Uh, and we also have a, a very clear consequence and, and sort of sanction. If you have done pre-marketing, you will no longer be authorized to rely on reverse solicitation. And a reverse solicitation always wa was tolerated. Uh, it was mentioned here and there. You had a few circulars from regulators that were sort of 
trying to shed some lights and put some colors around the concept. Um, but but still, it was more tolerated than being you know properly um, properly covered by the law. And so now we do have a definition of pre-marketing. If you've done that, you can forget about uh, uh, reverse solicitation and say, well, the client came to me and just uh, subscribed for my product. No, uh, you cannot do that. And 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 this is eighteen months after uh, the pre-marketing took place. So obviously, you know, eighteen months later. Uh, it's unlikely that your product still is going to be the flavor of the month uh, for investors. So I think it will achieve uh, the purpose. Um, and the consequence will be that um, if you um, if you do want to onboard investors after having done the pre-marketing, well, use your passport if you can have it. So do an AIFMD compliant product, appoint your AIFM and, and sell it on a cross-border basis. Uh, after you have assessed interest from investors. If you do not have the passport, use the national private placement rules. Um, and I think what is important is that most likely there will be a level playing field in this respect between uh, European AIFM and non-European AIFM. We've seen that uh, for other rules contained by the directive. And so a manager coming from outside the EU uh, will most likely be subject to the exact same rule uh, with regards to not being authorized to um, onboard investors based on the reverse solicitation. And that's a game changer. That would be a game changer. And in this case, they will be forced to national private placement rules with the practical limitation I mentioned before. You cannot do that for five or six jurisdictions. You will have then to opt for a Luxembourg parallel vehicle, uh, which would then be the perfect solution for you. So on that note, I hand over to you, Kami. Thank you, Stefan, and thank you, Kim. I think you both sum up really nicely, you know, with regards to the implication that manager need to consider uh, with the upcoming uh, new regulations, whether uh, for the pre-marketing and also the reversalization. And of course, uh, in the earliest uh, session of our webinar, we also mentioned what are the available structure or the, the three options that manager can consider and also the roles and responsibility of the agent. So uh, thank you both, uh, Stefan and also Kim, for joining us this afternoon. Um, and again, to everyone who joined us uh, to this webinar, um, as usual, we will share our presentation slides and also address every single individual questions. Um, we're also looking to lo host another um, follow-on chapter. I know we did one um, last time about the overview, a very high-level um, introduction of the Luxembourg uh, fund industry. With this one, we touch mostly on the alternative investments. And with the next one, if you guys have any suggestions or any feedback, we always welcome. And hopefully we'll see you guys again very soon uh, for our next chapter. And thank you both uh, for joining us again. Um, you all have thank a good you. day.